we're back to technical topics this week. And this is the story of how Mac won developers from the creator of Homebrew, Max Howell. When did you get into macOS development? You know, what was that transition like? As, as I understand it, you're mostly Mac these days. So what yeah. made you kind of go from the Linux world into the <laughs> very proprietary, very non-open world of, of Mac development? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was about about last fan period. And uh, I was getting fed up with Linux because it didn't matter what you did on Linux, you had to read a tutorial or a blog post about it. Because nothing mm. ever worked. Nothing yeah. just worked. And uh, it's not so I could go back to Windows having become a, a Unix diehard at this point. <laughs> and uh, it was about then, a bit before that, when uh, they an Apple announced that the next Mac would be Intel. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that it was Intel and thus all the software that I was using on Linux could easily be compiled for it. This was before mm. it was very common for everything to be able to compile for ARM as well. Yeah. Uh, although people made a lot of effort to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and uh, it was MacOS Tiger, and it was clear that Apple were putting a lot of effort into making Mac OS X really nice. And like, as a product person, you know, I appreciate the fact that they, they put all this time and effort into it. Uh, while Linux was a mess. And uh, part of the reason I was involved in open source on Linux is I was trying to fix it. But I kept seeing how these big organizations without anyone in charge were having trouble making something as large as a desktop environment. That's what they call them on Linux. So I bought one of the new Mac minis with an Intel to see what I'd think of it. And I loved it. Every part of MacOS that I looked at was clearly very well designed even the mm-hmm. unix integrations how the file system was laid out i just loved how everything was so consistent on the file system there was a directory called library and everything was capitalized like everything was <laughs> everything was camel case capitalized like on linux everything was like whatever that particular dev liked <laughs> so underscores hyphens camel case spaces right. if they hated everybody yeah and uh Apple had chosen to camel case everything and very rarely put spaces in. Uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes there's spaces in there, but like really, that the spaces were more consistent. Really, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, so they're saying you always must show uh, quote on shell in shell scripts. Like I forgave them for that. I think with hindsight now, that was a bad call. Uh, but at the time, mm-hmm. I was like willing to like see how there was a positive to some of these choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I really liked every part of it, but the, the part that was missing was a decent package manager. I came from Linux, so I was used to uh, having, like, power. I came from Arch Linux, actually, which I still think has one of the best package managers. So nice. that, that seeded the idea, certainly, that I could perhaps make the MacOS package manager that was how I needed it to be. Do you think... You know, you mentioned you had a design background. Um, do you think that aspect of of the Mac world appealed to you? Like, do you, do you feel like yeah. you were kind of unique in the Linux world in terms of uh, being motivated by that kind of like end user product experience? Well, certainly at the time in the Linux world, um, things like Ubuntu were starting to turn up, and they cared more about the user experience for their users. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was frustrating. 
And uh, I, I used to put a lot of effort into thinking about the usability and user experience, even though I had no formal training. Hmm. I made this app. It was really the first open source project that I made. It was an app called File Light, which was this... It's like Disk Daisy on Mac uh, shows a concentric uh, pie chart, essentially. So you can see where mm. we disk space was. And of course, back mm. in like 2003, when we had 30 gigabyte hard drives, yeah. uh, it was very important to know who was using your disk space because you <laughs> needed it. <laughs> but I remember one time getting this comment from someone accusing the, the app of having no uh, appreciation for user experience. <laughs> it just annoyed me so much because that's all I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is not like your other apps on Linux. Can you not see that? So it occurred to me at that point that everyone was always complaining about the user experience on Linux, but mm -hmm. you can't even listen to these people because they don't know good user experience. Mm -hmm. And that was frustrating. And I found on MacOS that the developers on MacOS really cared about user experience and also really knew what it was. And the users also knew what it was. So mm -hmm. my work would be appreciated rather than yeah. being told that I didn't have a good eye for user experience by someone who didn't know <laughs> any better, apparently, what the, the term was. So it's just like also, I hate to say it, like the quality of developers, the quality of users, the quality of the ecosystem is excellent. And I think it's a bit sad, actually. I don't think Apple is that quality anymore. So yes, sure, the file system and the user experience were nice things to have, but I think the deal breaker for Max was the cross-platform story. So here it is. Okay, so you were working on these different mobile clients, mm -hmm. um, but you liked iOS the best for, for Last.fm. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Objective-C. So my exper experience with Objective-C had been more limited up until then because we used this cross-platform toolkit. Uh, and even though I'd bought a Mac, I hadn't jumped straight into making apps on it at that point. Mm. But we used Mac for all of the development because it was the only platform where we could um, have a VM for Linux and a VM for Windows. And easily, you mm -hmm. know, just the, the tools for making those virtual machines were great on Mac. Like, that, that was the thing. Everything was always great test on Mac, even if, like, it might be greater on Windows for one thing overall. It was yeah. it was easier to just develop on Mac, so we all did that in the client team, and like most of the company, even like you know, this was right at the beginning of the era where Mac became the choice for developers. Yeah. So we did everything on Mac, and like yeah, so like Android SDK, you didn't need to uh, VM it; it worked well on Mac. You could pick Mac or Windows, and that that was a universal thing. Yeah. Even the BlackBerry SDK, like you could pick Windows or Mac. Uh, so mm -hmm. at that point we were trying to build for six different platforms and the amount of crap we had to go through to make it work on six platforms was prohibitive. Like I estimated we were wasting 40% of our time just messing around with build systems and trying to, trying to make <laughs> it consistently work. We had a bunch of open source that was underpinning the whole, like all of the work we did was open source, all these libraries trying to make it work. And, uh, it annoyed me. You know, I, this led me back to thinking about doing a package manager. Well, well the truth is I, I'd go to the pub and complain about it every evening <laughs> till, uh, <laughs> until my coworkers got fed up with me, uh, complaining about it. And one of them said, Max, maybe you should just fix this problem. And, uh, it's, <laughs> you're like challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it occurred to me that I could, and that I didn't have to just complain about it. 
So that weekend, I started what would later become Homebrew, just thinking through what, as a developer, I needed in order to do this cross-platform dev. And so, you know, this is strange how like, Homebrew is not a cross-platform development tool now, and it, indicative of how mm-hmm. what a product is changes during its development. Um, but that was how it started. Interesting. So what were some of the, you know, when you were first getting the project out the ground, um, you know, what were the ideas that you took from your experiment, uh, experience with the Linux package management world and what were the changes or, or new, new ideas that you brought in? Yeah. So most package managers are really inflexible, like famously so, like uh, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, apt was probably the biggest one and... Uh, forums online were always filled with people trying to get something installed and failing because it had no flexibility. So you have installed Foo. Right. And this thing you're trying to install wants Foo slightly newer, and I refuse to install it. (laughs) I will not do it for you. And uh, that annoyed me. I felt that developers knew what they were doing, so they needed some freedom to, you know, do that, get things working, uh, (laughs) that you could trust them. So from the from the go, I made it like that was why the the formula system was, was built from the go, and why I built it on top of Git. I wanted you to go in there and hack on these package recipes yourself. I wanted it to be extremely obvious how you did it, and for you to have the power to do whatever you want, and uh, to make it work mm-hmm. for you. Like the idea originally was, you cloned a version of Homebrew into your uh, source directory and then uh, made it install the uh, packages you needed in order to get going and then you could have like several copies of it scattered around uh, which meant compiling everything from source which didn't seem a problem because Mm. unlike the main competitor to homebrew which is called mac ports uh, I realized that the mac itself came with a huge amount of unix software that apple maintained for us and they were obligated to make it not binary compatible and safe and consistent so that all the apps that you installed would continue working, you know, for 10 years. So I took advantage of that. We mm. didn't reinstall all those things. And it meant using Homebrew was vastly quicker than using Mac ports, which certainly helped with yeah. early adoption. And uh, I the sim linking system... Um, I think there was another package manager that used it, but I didn't know about it at the time. But I had heard about the sim linking system from another tool that GNU made, but it wasn't their tool. wasn't a typical. It's a typical GNU thing, right? Like almost good. Hmm. <laughs> um, but because <you> know, <laughs> I wanted you to have multiple versions of things available, so you could switch back and forth as you needed for different projects, or if something was broken. I see. Uh, and I wanted the file system layout to be really nice, just like the rest of Mac. I wanted it so you could go into the mm-hmm. seller and there would be all the f- software you'd installed and it's all nicely versioned and you can see what each package contains. I like the idea that the file system was the database. And so I very mm. I carefully designed everything so I didn't need another database because also at that point I'd realized that mm. Every time you add a new system, call it a database or whatever, uh, a load of stuff breaks and you've added complexity that's just going to slow down development yeah. for the rest of time. And so if you can avoid it, like I wasn't going <laughs> to, I wasn't going to like insist we avoid it. 
like if we needed it, I'd be like, okay, now we'll have a database. But if I could think of some clever way yeah. to avoid it that worked well enough and made it so people could use regular tools to inspect what packages they'd installed. I really like that. I like that you could just use the terminal to see what you have installed. You could use LS, you can use find, and mm-hmm. uh, you didn't have to learn a, a, a cryptic command uh, like all the other package managers in order to just use like, I, I really believe that the package manager is just this fundamental tool that nobody wants. And uh, I wanted to build something that just got out of your way so you could get on with what mattered. You, you wanted to build an app. You wanted to use an app. You wanted to do something else. And the package manager shouldn't be sitting there going, hey, I'm important. You have to learn me. You have to understand how I work. You have to yeah. tread on eggshells while you're using me. And if you don't, you're going to be sorry. <laughs> I didn't want that. <laughs> and I, it's another reason that it was such a successful product, I think, is because people saw just yeah. by reading the readme that... I was trying to make the thing they wanted. And while everyone yeah. else who made a package manager, it became their lives. And like when you build something, it becomes important to you and you want everyone to know how important this thing you've built is. Uh, I think like that human mm-hmm. ego side of things was holding back similar tools. All right, had to cut it off here. But if you want more on how Homebrew became the default package manager for Mac, you can listen in to the Sourcegraph podcast, which is a side project by Biang, the CTO of Sourcegraph. And I've been really enjoying it.